Today's sermon passage is from Exodus 4, verses 1 through 17. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they believed that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I thank you that on this cloudy morning where we're having to worship together via computer as we go through this difficult time trying to figure out how to do this, and yet... Um, we still want to stop this morning, it being the Lord's Day, and worship you. We thank you that we can do that. We can stop and consider that this is the day that we celebrate where your son rose from the dead on our behalf, gave us life and liberty. We thank you for what we have in Jesus Christ this morning. I pray that we've already been able to worship you for what you've done for us in Christ. I pray that you'd help us to continue to consider that. Um, as we get into your word, teach us who we are before you, I pray. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, good morning. My name is Ben Morrow. If you don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer Church, and I'll be filling in for Pastor Jamie this morning. But thank you for worshiping with us online. Um, we've been going through a series in the book of Exodus called Our God Saves, and this morning we pick up in chapter 4. So if you haven't already, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. And I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, God's strength through our weakness. God's strength through our weakness. You can really, you may know this, you can really divide Moses' life up into three main um, compartments, if you will, of 40 years. Moses, the Bible tells us, lived 120 years. And at age 40, he had a milestone in his life. And at age 80, where we pick up in our text, he has another milestone in his life. The first 40 years, Moses spent in the palace of Pharaoh in Egypt. Egypt was the one superpower of the world at the time. It was the place to be. And Moses, although being a Hebrew, because of the way he was rescued as a baby by Pharaoh's daughter, because he was able to grow up in Pharaoh's house, he got to live in a place of privilege that the other Hebrew people did not get to live in. They lived as slaves in Egypt, building for Pharaoh, and they were oppressed. Moses um, knew who his people were, but he also grew up in the court of Pharaoh. So he got to live and grow up in a place of authority, a place of privilege, a place of comfort, and no doubt was full of his own strength and his own ability. You see that at age 40 where he sees an Egyptian, Moses goes out, he sees an Egyptian mistreating one of his people, one of the Hebrews, and Moses takes it on himself to take care of the situation. He strikes the Egyptian and ends up killing him, and it doesn't turn out the way he thought it would. The Hebrews turn on Moses. They, he might have thought they would have been pleased with what he did, but they said to him, who are you to judge us? Who do you think you are? The Egyptians wanted to kill him for killing another Egyptian, and so Moses had to run for his life out into the wilderness. So at 40 years old, Moses goes from this, uh, this place of privilege, this place of, of comfort, the place where he had the Pharaoh's ear, where when he spoke, people moved, people acted. He was a leader, even as a Hebrew. Um, he's going to be referred to later in the Scripture as a man mighty in word and deed, even, at, even as he was in Egypt. And yet he goes from that place all of a sudden at 40 years of age to being a vagabond out in the middle of the Middle Eastern desert, tending sheep. And he does that for year after year after year. God, God allows Moses, he, he spares his life, but he allows Moses to live as an outcast in the desert. And I think sometimes because that, there's not a lot of events going on in that period of time, we kind of skip that part. We go from Moses being 40 years old to Moses being 80 years old without realizing a third of Moses' life has gone by unaccounted for because it's really uneventful. And Moses went from this place where everything was eventful for him to being on the backside of nowhere. And that's where we pick up Moses. He's no longer a young man in chapter 4. He is an old man. He is 80 years old, and he's tending sheep that don't even belong to him. They're not even his. Um, he's tending his father-in-law's sheep. And one, one day in the desert with his sheep, he sees a bush that's burning, but that it's, it, that's not consumed. And in that encounter, we know that he meets the presence of God there. God speaks to Moses 
out of that burning bush. And God introduces himself to Moses. We know also by reading the rest of, of the scripture that Moses spends the last 40 years of his life leading the Hebrew people out of slavery, out of Egypt. That's a story that's forthcoming. But right now we pick up Moses as he first encounters Yahweh. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the subject of God's strength through our weakness. And I hope we accomplish a couple of things. First of all, I want to see, I hope we'll see that God is determined to accomplish great and amazing things through small and common people. Um, God used Moses at a time where he was not so useful, not at a time in his strength as a young man. And I also hope to see that God calls us to face our fear rather than use it as an excuse for unbelief or inaction. So three things. Our passage, calls, shows, a, our passage shows God calling Moses um, three things. To believe God's promise, to trust God's ability, and to follow God's leading. So believing God's promise. So Moses had gone from being a young man full of ambition and self-confidence to being this old, and what we're going to see, just a, not a confident man. He was broken compared to what he was. Uh, he went from being the man who killed the Egyptian in chapter 2 to the man who begged God not to use him here in chapter 4. Um, the verses Ashley just read to you. So at age 80, Moses has had all of the youthful swagger and all of the bravado knocked right out of him. Think about what it would be like to spend 40 years in what had to be in Moses' mind just a real waste, a waste of time, a waste of giftedness, a waste of whatever uh, Moses was. I'll be 40 years old my next birthday. I'm not even 40 yet. So everything I look at in life so far up to this point has been about that period of time that Moses spent thinking about what he used to have, what he once was, and what he had wasted. No doubt at 80 years old, he had been to the place, he had gotten to the place where um, whatever dreams he had, whatever, whatever grand vision he had for his own life was long gone. Moses married in the desert, had a family in the desert. He had his new life there in the desert where Moses may have before in Egypt married possibly an Egyptian woman or a, or a Hebrew woman. If he had married at that age, he would have married, no doubt, in, in pomp and splendor. He probably had more livestock present at his actual marriage than he did people when he married Zipporah. He had a different life, and all he had was his memory of what could have been. When God confronts Moses, he confronts a man who has had the swagger knocked out of him. So we pick up in chapter four where Moses is in the middle of making his excuses. In fact, that's re really where it starts here in chapter four, giving God the reasons why he can't do what God is calling him to do. God is saying, Moses, I've seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries and I am going to lead them out of slavery. And by the way, I'm gonna use you to do it. And Moses said, hang on. What do you mean you're going to use me to do it? When God calls Moses, one thing you might notice here as, as God speaks to him, he doesn't really give Moses the option. He doesn't say, Moses, I've got, I've got an idea. I would like to lead my people out of, out of Egypt. And 
I've got another idea. I think you'd be a pretty cool guy to do it. You, you seem like you're pretty well qualified. He doesn't do any of that. Paul, excuse me, when God calls Moses, he just simply says, come. He, he picks out his servant, tells him, I will be with you. Now you do what I ask you to do. And he doesn't take no for an answer. I think the way God introduces himself to Moses here is so vital. When, when you look back beginning in chapter 3 and leading into chapter 4, as God speaks to Moses, he introduces himself in a way where Moses, first of all, has to confront God's character, who he is. Um, Moses says, who, who should I even say is sending me? And God tells him what we now know, the famous statement, tell them I am that I am has sent you. God begins by displaying his character. I am who I am. I am who I always was. I, am, I will be, I will continue to be who I am. I'm changeless. I'm eternal. I'm faithful. I'm perfect. I'm holy. I'm separate. I'm unlike any God you've ever heard of. I'm faithful and I'm, I am who I am. So God begins the conversation with an introduction of his character and then makes promises to Moses. And again, he doesn't make it depend on Moses' ability. I want you to notice this. So look, beginning, if you want to turn back to Exodus 3, look at verse 10 real quickly. God says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel. Um, he says in verse 17, I promise, this is God speaking, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Um, verse 18, they will listen to your voice. Um, he said, and you shall go to the king. Verse 19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt, so that he will let, after that, he will let you go, and I will give these people favor in your sight. Into chapter 4, look at verse 12. He says, I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what you shall speak. Verse 15, you shall speak to him, speaking of his brother Aaron, you will put the words in his mouth. I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. I will teach you both what to do. He'll speak for you to the people. He'll be your mouth. You shall be his God to him. And at the end of verse 17, you shall do these signs. In other words, God's saying, look, I already know what's going to happen. I've got this plan, and it's not dependent on your ability, Moses. This is important because as a young man, Moses probably would have depended on himself. His ability, his position, his station, his giftedness, his intelligence, his power. He's not depending on any of that. He's trying to beg his way out of this calling. And God's saying, look, this isn't about you, Moses. I have a grander calling. I have a bigger plan. You're involved, and I'm going to be with you. You remember last week, Pastor Jamie said that was the key promise that God gave Moses. And if that had been anybody less than God, that really wouldn't have mattered so much. You remember he said, um, what if Jamie said, hey, I'll be with you. Don't worry, I'll be with you. You can do this grand thing because I'll be with you. Well, that doesn't mean as much, right? If, if I said to you, hey, I want you to go do this great thing, and don't worry, I'll be there with you, it doesn't mean very much, right? But God, having told Moses who he is, reminding Moses of just how powerful and able he is, then says, I will be with you. And I'm going to do these things. I'm going to accomplish my purpose. One thing you don't see in any of these verses, you don't see God say the word if. 
You don't say, I'm going, he, he doesn't say, I'm going to do all of these things if you're up to the challenge, Moses. If, 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 you really, if you really prop yourself up and really give it all you got, this might work. God is not depending his plan on Moses' ability. He wasn't depending on the skill of Moses to get this done. God made a promise, and that was it. God said, I am who I am. I'm faithful. I will never not be who I am. And the I am has said, I will be with you. He's telling Moses, when I make a promise, that's it. You could take it to the bank. When I make a promise, it's done. One of the things I think we fall into, I know I'm guilty of this, we can tend to view God through the lens of our interaction with other people and attribute that kind of same interaction with God, meaning I see people be unfaithful to me, and then I look at the promises of God, and I might be tempted to not believe the promise. Okay, God, are you really going to do what you said you're going to do? But God is not unfaithful. When God makes a promise, it's going to happen. This is what he calls Moses to. He wants him to believe the promise. Um, I've given you a promise, and when I make a promise, it's going to happen. So first, God calls Moses to believe the promise. Second, God calls Moses to trust God's ability. Notice how God answered each one of Moses' protests. He says, they're not going to listen to me. Verse 1, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. And so God gives them the signs. He says, okay, um, I'm going to demonstrate that this is a miraculous thing. I'm going to demonstrate that this is me sending you, that you're not just some guy walking out of the desert. He's had 40 years of too much desert heat um, affecting his thinking, making all kinds of wild claims. But God said, I'll give, you, I'll give you some signs. They won't believe you? Okay. Is that a stick in your hand? Throw the stick down. Moses throws the stick down, and it becomes a snake. And that's where it says the Scripture tells us Moses ran from it. Verse 3, Moses became afraid and he ran from it. Now, let's think about this for a second. Moses is in the desert with a bunch of sheep. He sees a bush that's burning and not consumed. There's a voice that starts talking to him out of this bush. And now this voice is telling him, throw a stick down, and that stick becomes a snake. At what point in that sequence of events would you be freaked out? I don't know where, but I mean, we're talking about something pretty radical, something pretty unusual. Moses was afraid. He was afraid, and God made him face his fear. He said, now pick it up. I don't know if you would want to pick that up or not, but Moses picked the tail, up, picked the snake up by the tail. It became a staff in his hand. He said, that's a sign. Use that. Demonstrate that, that God's power is behind your words. I'll give you another sign. He gave him the sign of leprosy. So he said, stick your hand in your cloak. Take it out. It's leprous. Put it back in your cloak. Take it out. It's whole again. Demonstrate that this is the power of God behind what I'm telling you to do. If they don't believe you then, take some water out of their precious Nile River and pour it on the ground. Let them watch it become blood. He gave them the signs. God called Moses to trust God's ability, not Moses' ability. God never based his plan 
on Moses' ability. Look at Moses' protest in verse number 10 um, of chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past since you have spoken to your servant, but or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, this is quite an interesting statement. If you read Acts chapter number 7, you'll find the final speech or the message that Stephen gives, the first martyr, the message that Stephen gives right before he is stoned. And his mess, in his message, he's taking the people through redemptive history. He hits on some high points of redemptive history to demonstrate how God sovereignly planned out the coming Messiah. And he spends some time there talking about Moses. Um, I believe he starts in verse 20 and Acts 7 and just starts talking about how God used Moses there. And one of the statements Stephen makes about Moses is that Moses was a man mighty in word and deed. And he's talking about, I think if you look at this chronologically, in the text, he's talking about Moses' experience back in Egypt. That Moses was a man in Egypt as a young man, mighty in word and deed. That was the, that was the reputation Moses kept, his name had throughout all the years. That's how Stephen remembered him. Moses has forgotten all that. After 40 years in the desert, he's forgotten. He says, I've never been a man who could speak very well. My mouth don't work too good. And I like how God answers him. But you see how he answers him? Lord, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. I've never been able to speak well. I can't do this. I'm not a very good persuasive speaker. And God says, who made your mouth? Who are you talking to, Moses? Who do you think you're talking to? This kind of reminds me of the conversation with Job, where Job finally has had, had enough of not getting any answers, and he said, I'm going to face God. I, I want some answers. And what was God's response to Job? Where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? The, the creature wants to speak against the creator now. Okay, stand there like a man and, and address me. Where were you? That's, that's what this feels like to me. Lord, I can't do what you're asking. Now, God, think about this. God has made promise after promise. He's told him, I will be with you. I will be the one to get this accomplished. Just follow me. I'm going to use you. This will happen. And Moses' answer is, I don't know. I'm not a very good speaker. And God answers, who made your mouth? Who made man's mouth? Him being the obvious answer. There's a strength that's only to be found when we stop relying on our own strength. If Moses still carried that hyper sense of self-assurance and responded to God as, yeah, I'm ready, let's do this. He would have gotten himself in trouble. God waited until Moses was broken. He made sure all the fight and the self-reliance was out of him before he called him. Like a good horse that's bought for use, you don't use a horse until he's broken. He may be strong, may have a great will, but you've got to break him before you can, he can be of use. 
The Apostle Paul put it in this way in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, my grace, speaking, God speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I almost titled the sermon, Are You Weak Enough for God to Use You? Now, I know you have to use a qualifier to that. I mean, God can do whatever he wants, and he can use whoever he wants. In fact, the text tells us this, right? This is what he's doing with Moses. We don't limit God. But this is the method that God uses throughout the Scripture. He finds weak and common people. He doesn't take the brightest and the strongest those with the best resume, those who are going to be world changers on their own anyway. He takes those that are weak and does amazing things through those people so that he gets the glory, not them. It's his MO. It's how he works. Never once in this text did God allude to Moses' qualifications, past or present. When Moses talked about himself, God talked about God. He said, this is what I'm going to do. A.W. Tozer famously wrote, it is doubtful whether God can use a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. Alan Redpath similarly wrote, when God wants us to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and crushes him. The Bible shows us that when God uses people, he first empties them of their own strength. He empties them of themselves so that he can fill them with his strength. Think about Abraham. God made Abraham a promise. You're going to be a father of many nations. And he makes him wait until he's 100 years old before he sees his son. And even then, he's tested, told to go sacrifice him, to test his faith. Jacob, a man who's strong-willed, had to wrestle with the angel and walk with a limp the rest of his life when he encountered God. Joseph was given a dream and immediately, almost immediately, unjustly persecuted, thrown into prison for a couple of years before he ascended into Pharaoh's court. David was anointed king. Out minding his own business, tending sheep, and the prophet of God came along and said, that's the one, the one nobody else would have picked out. That's the one who's going to lead Israel. And Saul became so jealous, he chased David David had to run for his life and hide in caves for a couple of years before he saw the promise. Elijah, great man of God, and yet you find him on a mountaintop crying, thinking he's the only one who worships the one true God. Hosea, man of God, he's told from the get-go your family's going to be in shambles. You're going to marry a prostitute. You're going to have children with names that depict God's judgment on the nation of Israel. You're going to be my man, but it's not going to be the way that you think. Peter had to have the rooster crow before God used him. Paul, even after he was called, on the, after he met Christ on the road to Damascus, after he had spent his time as the Ph.D. among the Pharisees, 
had to spend his time out in the Arabian desert alone with God, walking with him before he was ready to be used. Even Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head, was described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. God empties us. He empties us in order to use us. Again, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, for consider your calling, brothers. This is what we're talking about when God calls someone to something. When God, when God speaks or when God puts his mark on you, when he pulls you along, when he calls you out, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose, and here's the principle, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God makes himself known. God gains for himself greater glory in our weaknesses and not in our strength and not in our own abilities, not in our self-reliance. Our ability is found in God's ability. Our strength is found in relying on his power. So Moses was called to trust God's ability. Third, finally, Moses was called to follow God's leading. So following God's leading. Moses had to come to several realizations. He had to realize who God is, that he is the I am, that's who he is. The one who speaks and it's done. The one who makes promises and it's sure. The one who makes man's mouth. He, Moses had to realize his own inadequacies, that he wasn't the one who was going to be the great deliverer. God was. Moses was feeding sheep when God called him. Moses' qualification wasn't his ability to lead. It wasn't his personality traits or his skill with words or his IQ or his way with people. It wasn't because he had the resume or the brain power. Moses was going to succeed for one reason, because God said, I will be with you. Moses had to realize that God's calling for him was much bigger than him. He had to realize that God was making promises that weren't depending on him. All Moses had to do was obey. It was Moses' fear that was holding up this conversation. God was saying, I'm going to do these things. It was Moses that's saying, uh, are you really? Are you sure you want to use me? How about my brother? I don't know. Moses' fear and trepidation here is the only thing holding things up. God said, I'm going to get this done, and I'm going to use you. Moses had to realize that obedience meant setting aside his fears and his excuses. So, despite Moses' hesitation, we know from the story that he does end up following God's leading and God uses him mightily in ways Moses could not have possibly dreamed. Quickly, let me read to you the description of Moses given in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ 
greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This moment of realization that Moses has with God wasn't given to him just so he will have this aha moment and gain greater knowledge. Moses was being called to get up and follow God. And here's, here's one point I want to make here. When it comes to following God's leading, when it comes to actual faith, faith requires action. Faith is not simply a mental exercise where we learn and believe something and say, okay, I'll store that away. I know this to be true and I believe it and go about my life as if I'd never heard it. Faith requires obedience and action. What God was calling Moses to was not just an understanding of who he is, but because of who he is now, you can follow me. Get up and follow. We're going to do something different now. Ultimately, God intends for us to put action to what he has revealed to us. We're responsible for what he's revealed, not just to know it and to believe it, but to obey it. That's where faith comes in. Faith is active obedience despite our fear and despite our inadequacy. Now, in all this talk about Moses and, and, and the great way God used him, you might be thinking, okay, but I'm not, I'm not trying to be a great man or a great woman. I'm not trying to be somebody great. I just want to live my life well. I'm, I have a job. I'm a parent. I'm a spouse. I, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or whatever it is. I, I just want to do that and do it well. I, I don't need to be a great orator. I don't need to be a great man of God somewhere. I, I just want to live my life well. But these principles of faith, these principles of following God still apply. First of all, do I, do I believe, do I really believe what God has promised? Do I believe that when God makes me promises, they are sure and they will happen and I can take them to the bank? Do I trust God that way? Secondly, do I rely on God's ability rather than struggle to do it all in my own strength? And then am I willing to follow God's leading in the moment however he leads? So what is God prompting you to do? What is it, where is that one point where you might be afraid to really trust God? I mean, you trust him, but there's one thing that he's revealing to you that you're having a hard time truly trusting him for. What promise has he made that you need to rely on? Are you relying too heavily on your own strength, your own ability? Maybe you're a younger man or a younger woman with lots of ability, and it's just natural for you to rely on your own strength. God really uses us when we are humble enough to allow him to empty us, to understand it's all about his strength because his purposes are much greater than mine. I don't see what I need to see. I'm going to make myself vulnerable and allow him to be strong instead of me. There's a strength that is only to be found when we stop relying on our own abilities and our self-sufficiency. God's power shines through small, ordinary people. And faith means to take God at his word despite our fear. It means God's ability is so much greater than anything we fear. So are you weak enough for God to use you? It's when we are emptied of our own strength. It's when we are so weak. That's when we're strong.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that I don't have to be a person who's great and mighty in the eyes of this world to be your child. I thank you that you are our Father. You love us. You sent your Son for us. He died for us. He set us free. And we have everything we need in the person of Jesus Christ and by the power of your Spirit. We thank you for that. We accept that. I want to be molded by your word. I want to rely on your strength and your ability, your promises, your leading, rather than my own designs and my own perceived abilities. Help us to be humble. Help us to follow you in truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.